Good morning. We're going to go ahead and just dive in the text as we're continuing our series of Galatians, faith, freedom, and love. And so we're going to read today Galatians chapter 3, verses 27, and then we're going to end at chapter 4, verse 7. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until this time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. And when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. You know, I was thinking about this the other day that, you know, when I was a child and, and I think about my family dynamics and I have a younger brother. My brother and I are two years apart and, and it's, ama it's, a, it's amazing how competitive we were, how much we got on each other's nerves. I probably got on his nerves more than he got on mine. Uh, we were fighting and my parents would punish us. Now, one of the things that they would do, which is interesting because I find myself doing that with my sons uh, who are also two years apart, is when we would fight at home, my parents would actually make us hug. And they would make us hug and hug. And you know, as, as a young child, or, we would hate that. They were just hugging, we're squirming and everything else, but we, were, we would hug until my parents got tired. Which means, you know, they would hug, we would hug until we got the message that we were brothers and that we we're, were called to love each other as brothers because we, we share a common name, we're a common family. And so it's natural to have conflict. It is natural to find these issues. And what I found in this is that there was a unity that was created. Now, the thing is, is that when, when we were kids and we would fight at home, and that was natural, I could tell you stories about the amount of things we broke in our house. Some of the parent stories my parents know about, some of the stories we haven't confessed yet. But either way, we fought at home, but there was one thing that really set my parents off. It wasn't necessarily that we were fighting, but it would be an issue if we fought outside the home. If we were in the street and we were fighting each other, that would send our parents to another level of, of, of being upset because there's something that's different about dealing with conflict in the home versus dealing with conflict outside of the home. And here's the, here's the, key, it, it, the key point here with this. See, the thing is, is, the reason why my parents would be upset when we were fighting on the outside is because we represent a name. And that name is connected to a family. So my last name is Frost, my brother, we, we represent that name in public. And so what happens is, is it, when we live out in public, how we lived in public would reflect on the quality of the name that we represent. See, in this passage here, we see Paul is connecting the importance of the family name and how we are to live. 
You see, Paul has been building this case since, since chapter 2 when he confronted uh, Peter or Cephas, in the, as it says in the text, in front of everybody because of the relationship played between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he's been laying this chapter for us. He's been laying this argument, and it really is about what does it mean to be God's family? But here in this part of the text, he takes us deeper into what it means to be a child of God. Now, I've already read verses 27 to the end of this section, but I want to start off with, with verse 26. For through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So the key point of this whole passage is that faith in Christ makes us children of God. Let me say that again. Faith in Christ makes us children of God. So when we, what does this look like? What does it look like to be children of God? And what does it look like with faith being the factor that makes us family, that makes us God's family? And it, there's three key things that we need to look at. There's three key things that we'll talk about. One is our identity. Two is our inheritance. And three is our independence. Our identity, our inheritance, and our independence. So let's look at this, the idea of our identity. Verses 27 through 29. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. See, here's the thing about identity. Identity is important because in this text, what you see is our change in identity. Because we've been baptized into Christ, that the change of our identity changes our position. Well, what do you mean? Well, first, what we see here is that we're baptized into Christ, that we are fully immersed in him. But then he does something in that immersion, in being baptized into Christ, that we are clothed with Christ. See, there's one thing that I've learned as I've gotten older in life is as I've, my identity has grown and has changed, my outfit changes. That I don't wear the same things I used to wear. And what I mean by that is, as much as I love being, a, being in the athletic world and wearing shorts and everything else, if I'm a grown man in the business, in the business world, I got to wear a suit. I have to dress according to my position. And so when we're in Christ, we are first baptized, immersed in him, but then we are changed by how we wear and what we wear. And what I mean by that is we used to wear the clothing of sinners, but now we're saints. So we were baptized into Christ. We were clothed with Christ. But there's another thing that Paul says here is that we're united in Christ. In other words, our family line, our family name, and in, in that, that, that Jesus changes our identity, that we go from sinner to saint. And as saints, we are siblings as children of God. Let me say that again, because we say this a lot, but I think we need to really nail this down. We go from sinner to saint. And as saints, we are siblings as children of God. Now, I, I like to say this idea about what is a saint, and I've used this example before, but a saint is a sinner in rehab. What, is, what do you mean? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that there's a problem, and that's sin. But second of all, we have to recognize that, that not only do we admit the problem, but we take the treatment, which is the cross. Then third, we have an accountability partner, and that's the Holy Spirit. 
And fourth, we, we hang out and we do life with other people in rehab, other saints in rehab, and that's the children of God, the family of God, and the local church. We see Paul laying this out throughout the entire passage. But there's a lot more to unpack there. Because in verse 28, Paul is, 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 is making a very clear point. He is not saying that these distinctions, remember we talked about that there is uh, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. Paul is not saying that these distinctions no longer exist. He's not saying that they disappear. What he is saying is that in spite of our differences, we are one in Christ, unified in him. Now, see, the reason why this is important, because sometimes it, uh, people use this passage to say that the scripture is communicating a form of colorblindness, so to speak. But that's not really the case, because here's the deal is that we do not lose our identity. What happens is as a Jew or as a Gentile, but importantly, it is under the authority of Christ. And what we find is that there is a beauty that is in Christian unity. So let me let me give you this example right here, okay? Because I like to eat. And you know, Memorial Day's coming up tomorrow. And people have got their menus laid out. They're gonna cook out, they're gonna smoke some meat, grill some hot dogs, some hamburgers. For my vegan friends, you're gonna do what you do, but we know that we're gonna lay down some food. Now imagine if we have a day and we cook a meal and we got steak, potatoes grilled asparagus, and we put all that stuff together. And then when you put in your fork and you take a bite, the potatoes taste exactly the same as the steak. Well, I don't know about you, but I know I would throw that plate out. Because what I recognize is that every piece of the meal, while unique, brings something special to the beauty of the plate. In other words, several components one plate. That plate is unified because each thing brings its gift to the whole. That's what the asparagus does. That's what the ribs do. That's what the steak does. That's what the potatoes do. Likewise, as a family of faith, there is a beauty in our differences. But our earthly identity is subordinate it is under the, our identity in Christ. That our identity on earth, our cultural and ethnic heritages, our, as our, our manhood, our womanhood, our economic class, whatever it is, it, does not, it is not the primary indicator of our identity. Jesus is. Jesus is. But then we keep moving this text about identity, and this is where it's going to get a little rough. Because we see here in, in, in 20, verse 29 that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Now, what does this mean about seed? What is it about this idea of being children of God? Have you ever heard that question? That we're all God's children? It doesn't matter if you have faith in Christ or not. We're all God's children? Well, let's talk about that for a sec. Because... Here's the reality. We are all created in the image of God. We bear what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. And what that does is it gives everybody, all of humanity, value, dignity, and worth 
and we should be treated with that dignity. Every single human being should be treated with that dignity and value and worth that is due to an image bearer. But there's something different. Something different has to be fulfilled or is necessary to be identified as children of God. And here's what it is. Jesus is what makes us children of God. So it goes back again to his grace, our faith. And, and, and this is not something that is just unique to this passage. It's also reflected in other areas. So let's look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. It is his grace, our faith, that makes us children of God. So what happens again, like I said earlier, is that our identity is changed from sinner to saint, and we are connected as family, as children of God. So then you might be asking, well, if, if, if only believers in Christ are the children of God, then if God is not our father, then who is? Now, this is where Jesus drops some hard truth. In John chapter 8, he says in verse uh, 42 through 44, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. Check this out. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. We either are children of God or as Jesus said in his own words, children of the devil. And I know that's a hard truth, the idea, because we try to find our own identity. That we're trying to find what does it mean to be who I am? In other words, we're stuck with the questions all the time, who am I? And the thing is, is that if, if I'm a child of God, then what happens is I, am, I follow the one who says I am the way, the truth, and the life. But if I am a, a child of the devil, then I will buy the lies that he communicates about who I am. So the first thing about understanding what it means to be a child of God, to be family of God, to, that is the faith in Jesus Christ. And that means then, if that's the case, that there's an inheritance that we have to go to. That there's an inheritance that's, that, that shows a picture of what it means to be a child of God. Check this out. Verses 4, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. Now, I know contextually, I, I want to communicate this real quick, that the idea of slavery here is not the American context of race-based chattel slavery. And I know when we read it in the text, that, that term is etched in our minds within that context. But the point here is that before we came to faith in Jesus, we were in bondage to sin. These were the elements of the world, the bondage that we have. And so what we see here in this text is a comparison or, or a picture of a child and a slave or a servant. So what is he saying? Well, an heir is a, a, a child who is underage, and as a result, they have no right to their inheritance, legally speaking. So like a servant, they own nothing. But what happens is, is that, that, in, that inheritance is in a trust and it's protected by a guardian and the trustees whose job is to take care of the inheritance until the time set by the father to receive that inheritance. So in other words, what's happening is, is that we may be an heir, but we function as a slave or as a servant until the appointed time set by the father. And so what Paul is doing here is he's using a legal standing, a legal case to connect our state that is we too as children were in bondage to sin. In other words, we too were children of the devil. See, here's what happened here. The law, as we talked about in chapter three and in chapter two, the law served as our guardian. And this is for the Jews mainly. The, 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 the law served as our guardian until the right time for Israel which was the time of Jesus. Now, we live in the time after the law because we, we have here already, we've, we already have the, the arrival, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. So then if this is the case, what do we inherit? Well, here's the key part, and this is beautiful. We inherit the freedom to enjoy the relationship with God under grace. We inherit the freedom to enjoy this relationship with God that is provided by grace. In other words, we inherit salvation by grace alone, in Jesus alone, and the opportunity to live as sons and daughters of God. See, here's one of the things that I've recognized with my, with my sons. Because I already peeped game to my sons, and I, I did this actually too, and I... I I actually said this to my dad one time. I, it's amazing as I look back, all the stupid stuff. I, I was bold as a child. But I said something crazy. I said, Dad, can I have, and I can't remember what it was, can I have X, Y, and Z when you die? Now, as a child saying that to a parent, I, I can only imagine what my dad felt when I said that. But there's something there to it because here's the reality. At this time, and my, my parents are both still alive, that I praise God for them, and I praise God for that relationship. But I recognize that I have access because of inheritance. But I don't have it yet because the time is not here. See, before Christ, there was an access to God, there was inheritance to God, but they could not possess it because Jesus had not yet arrived. So the law served as a guardian until that time. But now Jesus has come, he has conquered, and now 
we have an opportunity to walk in that third point that I have, that third eye, our inheritance. So here's what the text says, verses 4 through 7. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Now check this out. Our new identity gives us the freedom, the independence to live as sons and daughters and as siblings. That we have this freedom to live out our walk with God, not only in the vision, but more importantly, as a family. So how do we view God? It should impact how we view him if we have this freedom. Now, I get this. I understand something because here's, here's the hard part. Even as we talk about the idea of family and family matters, family dynamics can be a difficult topic for some of us because not everybody has the same family dynamic. Some have come from rough homes where the parental or sibling relationships are difficult. And honestly, it impacts how we view God and it impacts how we relate to one another. Because we didn't have the right model, it's hard to see God as a loving father. Or because we have poor sibling relationships, we, 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 we live that out even amongst the family of faith. But let's see the, the, the biblical ideal here. That God provides in his word, what should it look like to live as brothers and sisters of God under Christ? And let us learn from that. But in this text here, you see this idea of, of a term called adoption. Now, several of us here at, at Radiant and others who might be viewing and listening or, or have adopted children or in the process of adopting children. And, and while I've, we, my wife and I have not done that, I'm sure that you can attest to how challenging how difficult it is for the process because it's long and you have to wait and wait and wait and certain conditions have to be met. But all of that is done so that an orphan can be connected to a willing and loving parent. So, so I want us to understand something here. Through Jesus, God is doing the same thing. He is connecting us, orphans, to a willing and loving parent. Yes, Satan is the father of lies and he is the, the and, and their children tell, but here's the thing, he leaves you for destruction. You are basically left an orphan to your own devices. And so God connects orphans, us, to a willing and loving parent, God, and Jesus does this and he is willing to do what it takes to change our position from sinners to saints and his sons and daughters. We were adopted. We are adopted. And here's some things we have to understand about adoption. One, adoption requires someone to come at the right time. Two, they have to have the right qualifications. And three, and probably most importantly, they have to have the right resolve. Jesus came at the right time. He is God in the flesh. 
he has the right qualifications because he could do what the law couldn't do. He lived a sin-free life. He was already qualified the moment he stepped on the planet. Actually, he was already qualified when in Colossians chapter 1, it says all things were made through him, by him. He had the right qualifications, but here we see that because Jesus, born of a woman, dying on a cross, living a perfect life, he had the right resolve to connect orphans and bring them into a family. See, and here's the beautiful thing about being a, 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 this, the process of adoption is that when you are adopted, you take on the family name. You become one of the family. See, God sent his spirit. Check this out. God sent his spirit so that we can experience the, the privileges and benefits of being children of God. He says it here again in Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And here's a beautiful thing. We talk about this idea of, of, of Abba is, is that is that is deeper than just saying daddy. But it is a deep longing for the father that sits in our soul. That when life hits you and it's hard, and see, here's the kind of the thing is, I understand that I got teenagers. I got a 15-year-old who's about to be 16 next month and a 13-year-old, and they try to flex. They try to be hard. Dad, but when things get crunch time, when things get hard and there's no way for them to deal with the situation, and I can know it as a son myself, there's a deep longing in the heart that cries out, Daddy. But it's a deeper longing. It's something that comes out of the soul. And what happens is, is as a child of God, we have access to him. And that should motivate how we live. See, being a child of God enables us to enjoy intimacy with him. But here's what Jesus does. Check this out. Due to sin, you got to understand this. We were captive to God's law. But because of Christ, we're now captivated by his love. Check this out again. Let me say this. Due to sin, we were held captive. We were held captive to God's law. But because of Jesus, we're now captivated by his love. So the reality is, is that we are sons and daughters of God and we have an eternal family. So what does this mean? Well, I got to tell you this story because I, I, I always talk about my sons. I got two sons on this planet. The reason why I put that caveat out there is because when I was in college, a long time ago, I was in a, a program for my class. and It was a Head Start program. And so I walk in, I'm about 19, I think, and I walk in and all these little itty bitty kids, first thing one of them kids said to me was, whose daddy are you? I looked at them, I looked at them kids, I'm like, I ain't none of y'all's daddy. Why am I not y'all's daddy? Well, here's the reason why, because I'm not linked by name and I'm not linked to them by blood. But as the children of God, we are connected by the name of Jesus and we were brought into adoption by the blood of Jesus. And that makes us sons and daughters and heirs. That's what makes us family. 
That's what makes us siblings. The name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So what does that mean for us? Well, if you're a believer in Christ, I'm going to be a little hard here. If we really are, if we really are the children of God through faith in Jesus, and if that means that we are truly brothers and sisters, then we need to be better siblings for the sake of the name we proclaim. We fighting in public. The same thing that sets my dad off, my mom off, when we were fighting in public is the same thing that sets God off because we represent his name to a world. And so if we say we love Jesus and yet we're so uncharitable to our brothers and sisters, what does it say about the name we represent? We don't take the time to listen well. We don't take time to be charitable to one another. Oftentimes we mischaracterize them. We mischaracterize their words and their motives. The sad part is that we tend to extend grace, or I'm sorry, we, we want grace extended to us, but we're slow to extend it to others. We hurt one another and we leave our wounded behind. And the sad part is that the world sees it. So what's our point of application? We talk about being God's family on mission. We talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves. If we want to be good neighbors, then we have to be good siblings first. We have to be good siblings. The problem is revealed in our discourse in our conversations online, our conversations offline. And it's because oftentimes our loyalties we claim are to Jesus, but they're really not. It's to our tribes, it's to our camps. And what's worse is that we will inject Jesus into saying something to make sure to guarantee that he's on our side. It's like two siblings fighting and we try to pick the side of the parent to affirm our side when the parent recognizes that everybody's wrong. And that's not always the case, but the reality is, is that we, 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 we fight and we're unloving to one another and the world sees it. So here's the question. How would our society look if the family of God actually loved the way we were supposed to? What would society look like if we became better siblings? Here's something I want us to understand as we apply the truth of being better siblings. We can pick our friends, but we can't pick our family. The work of adoption into the family is God's work. So if that's what it means, if that's what this passage means for us to apply as believers, what does it mean for the unbeliever? Well, the most important thing right now is understand what family you're in. And that means if you're a, fa a, a child, a son or daughter of Satan, then you have to be a part of the family of God under Christ. Let me give you the prescription again. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive them, 
He gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. It is God's grace through Jesus and our faith in response. We just have to receive him and believe in his name. Then, if you do that, you will have an eternal family and you will have an eternal home. So my challenge to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, is to come home.